0: good morning, church. It's wonderful to be with everyone uh, again, Uh, and I must confess that one of the most exciting parts of this past week for me um, was a teaser trailer for a new Ghostbusters movie. I (laughs) was… See, you know what I'm talking about. That's right. I I had the, the Ghostbusters theme song on loop in my head all week long because for me growing up, I was a huge Ghostbusters fan. I was four years old when it came out on VHS, and I must have worn that tape out. I loved that movie, it was one of my favorites, and uh, I became obsessed as a child with those actors, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, I, I loved these guys, um, and, and so my mom uh, got me hooked on the other movies and things that these actors were in, like the old Saturday Night Lives and uh, some of the other movies that honestly, looking back, a child should not watch, and that brings up a whole other issue of the, thing, the way that I was raised, but that's a, that's a whole other conversation. But in 1993, Harold Ramis, uh, he was one of the Ghostbusters, Egon, but he actually directed the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, and because of just the stress of that work relationship, it actually drew these two, or pushed these two uh, great comedic actors apart to where they did not speak to each other for the next 21 years. Years later, Harold Ramis was uh, was dying of a disease called autoimmune inflammatory vassalitis. Uh and he didn't have much time left, and shortly before Harold Ramis died in February 2014, uh, Bill Murray actually decided to visit his old friend, which is a great story in and of itself, because he knew the city that he lived in or the town, but he didn't know where exactly, so he just showed up to the police station with a box of donuts and bribed the police to lead him to Harold Ramis' house. It's a hilarious story. You should Google it. But anyway, so after 21 years, these two great actors who had spent a decade making great comedy movies together um, were reunited uh, in private. Nobody knows what they discussed, uh, but the people that were in the house knew that uh, that it was good because these two men were laughing together after 21 years of being separated. Um, because Bill Murray's love for his old friend, whatever had driven them apart, Bill Murray's love for his old friend drove him to restore that broken relationship. And that's what the power of love does. To paraphrase Huey Lewis in the news, the power of love. But it's able to restore broken hearts. The power of love is able to restore broken relationships. And that's what we see here in chapter 2 of Hosea, is that God's love For Israel is more powerful than Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord. And that's the beauty of Advent. That is the beauty of what we celebrate in the Christmas season when we celebrate the birth of Christ. Because restoration is not just for Israel, but restoration is made available to you and to me. Because God's love restores the broken relationship between the Christian and Himself. And I'll say that one more time if you're one of those note-taking kind of people, but God's love restores the broken relationship between the Christian and Himself. And this passage reveals three specific ways that God's love involves you in that process. First, in verses 14 and 15, that you have been pursued. In verses 14 and 15, you have been pursued. In verses 16 and 17, you have been purified. So first, you have been pursued. In verses 16 and 17, you have been purified. And lastly, in verses 18 through 23, you are made precious. So you have been pursued, you have been purified, and in verses 18 through 23, you are made precious. And before I go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together. God, we thank You for Your Word that You have have spoken to us, that we are not left to aimlessly wander about creation, hoping that we can be good enough, but God, You speak Your Gospel to us through Your Word. And now I pray that You would pour out Your Spirit in this place, that You would speak to us through the power of Your Word, God, that You would use a broken, selfish, dependent man like myself to communicate the power of Your redemptive gospel truth, the power of Your love that restores broken hearts. Speak to us today through Your Word, and we pray this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Now, the past couple of weeks, we've looked at uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah, who were both prophets to uh, the the nation of Judah… Uh, remember, this is a, a time in history where uh, Israel has been divided into two kingdoms: Israel to the north, Ju- Judah to the south. Uh, the past two weeks, we looked at uh, we looked at them southern prophets, but this week we're looking at a northern prophet to the, the nation of Israel. And so Hosea is is uh, is preaching to the northern kingdom, uh, prophesying to the northern kingdom. And while many prophets would use uh, word imagery to invoke these powerful images of what the Lord has done, Hosea's life itself was used as an image depicting uh, the relationship between God and His people. And so Hosea was actually instructed to marry a prostitute named Gomer. So for those of you who might be having a girl anytime soon, Gomer is a biblical womanly name, uh, not very positive, but it's, it's there. Uh, but so Hosea named, married a prostitute named Gomer, and they had one child together. And that child was Jezreel, meaning God will sow. But Gomer has two other children, and Scripture does not list Hosea as the father. And these other two children, the first is Lo Ruhoma which translates to no mercy or not pitied. And the second child is Ami, meaning not my people. So this is today's equivalent that if you were to have children today, that you would name them unloved and not mine. That's When you go to, to, to call your kids in from playing in the street at dinner, say, unloved, not mine, it's time for dinner. You're calling your Kind of your children back home. These, this was a, a physical representation in Hosea's own family of the broken relationship between Israel and the Lord. And so, as we see, God uses this broken relationship to reveal his love to his people. And more than merely just stating words, God states that you have been pursued. Look at verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. God is the one doing the alluring. It's not the other way around that we have to win God's affection. God takes the initiative, the the initiative on behalf of an unfaithful people with the heart of a prostitute. A heart that gives itself away to false gods, any other thing that appeals to our passions or our appetites. God does the alluring. He's the one that speaks tenderly. The Lord will romance his bride. Carrying on in verse 15, and there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Acor a door of hope. And there she shall answer, as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. This giving of, of vineyards is a, 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 a reference, a metaphor to not just the, the joy and pleasure of wine, but it's an income. The giving of, of vineyards is a sustenance of both uh, drink and support. It, it is a way to sustain. So the Lord is providing for his bride. But this reference to the Valley of Acor, it doesn't get a whole lot of airplay in many churches, but it goes back to Joshua 7. If you're not familiar with your Old Testament history, uh, after uh, Joshua and the, the nation of Israel has raided Jericho, They were told that there were specific items that they were not supposed to touch. They were not supposed to take because those were going to be burned as a sacrifice to the God. And it was it was things like gold and silver, these precious metals. And there was a man named Achan who stole some of this gold and silver for himself that was supposed to be given over to destruction. And so by a casting of lots, Achan was discovered. And the punishment was that Achan and all that belonged to him had to be dragged outside of Israel and not just stoned, but buried in stones. And so that pile of stones that they left there was named the Valley of Achor as a reminder of Israel's unfaithfulness to what the Lord had commanded for them. So any time they would pass that pile of stones, it wasn't just a a small pile of pebbles. It was Achan and all that belonged to him. It was a massive pile of rocks and small boulders. It was a reminder of how Israel herself as a nation is unfaithful to God's provision. (coughs) And God says, I'm going to take that reminder of unfaithfulness, and I'm going to make it a door of hope because I'm going to remind Israel of the days of her youth, as when I brought her out of Israel. God's people being freed from… are not uh, brought out of Israel, brought out of Egypt, because when, the, when Israel was brought out of Egypt, they contributed nothing to that process. In fact, if anything, they, they were resistant. They were terrified. They were hesitant. But it was the Lord who continually brought these plagues and humbled Egypt so Israel would be released. The Lord was the one that out of His love freed His people. His love pursues His people. And in this relationship between us and the Lord, you and I are Gomer. You and I... As unpleasant as this sounds, you and I are the prostitutes in this relationship because you and I are the ones that are so quick to give our hearts over to the other false, unreliable, lowercase g gods that do not fulfill and do not satisfy. It's not a literal prostitution, but it's a prostitution of the heart. That the idols that our hearts so quickly make take priority and try to dethrone Jesus from our lives. You and I seek our own comfort and pleasure and pride, and too quickly we rely on ourselves and having to earn our own way. Our hearts are fickle, and yet with all of His glory and majesty and power, The Lord does not demand that we cower in fear of His wrath. But this is the God who comes to His people with a restorative love, alluring His bride, providing for His bride. This is a God who woos His people. This is a God who out of His love for you gave His only begotten Son. This is a God who out of love calls you his child and pursues you to call you to himself. In Acts 2.39, Luke records the following uh, that Peter said in chapter 2, for the promises for you. The, the covenant promise of the Lord to His people, the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. The covenant promises of God are for those that the Lord is calling and pursuing and wooing back to Himself. To those of you in here That are questioning the Christian faith, that might be struggling, what this even means. It means God is pursuing you to call you his beloved. God is pursuing you to make you his own. To the believers in here, God is calling you to remember your first and greatest love, not your first crush, that poster that you had on your wall in middle school but the one who called you out of sin and slavery and called you to himself. Remember the love that restored a broken heart. And so while you were still rebellious in your own heart, God pursued you, but his love doesn't stop there because Hosea reminds us that you have also been purified. Picking up in verse 16, and in that day declares Yahweh. Remember, anytime you see all capital Lord, uh, that's the covenant name of God, I am Yahweh. That's the covenant name that He gave to His people. He's not an unknown God. He's not one God of many. He is the great I am, Yahweh. And in that day declares Yahweh, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. Now, to get a little nerdy on you, this is something that we actually lose a lot in translation to English here, because in the Hebrew, there are actually two words for husband. Uh, There's one word, ish, which means man or husband. When I first started learning Hebrew, I I, I love, and I still do this sometimes, but I refer to my wife as Isha, which means woman or wife, and she'll call me Ish. Uh, But Ish means man or husband. Baal can mean lord, owner, or husband. So it's a husband, but it seems to be more of an ownership type relationship. And and so the, the, the terms that a woman would say are Ishi, meaning my husband, or Bali, my husband. And the Lord here is saying, you will no longer call me Bali as, your, as a, a, the, not just a Lord, but also a false god, but you shall call me Ishi, your man, your husband. And we lose a lot in that English translation, but what he's saying is, my name will not be the equivalent of a false God. In fact, Baal was the false god of fertility in the pagan religions of that time. Uh, The pagan religions believed that even the rain itself, and excuse the crassness of this, but the rain itself was Baal's seed fertilizing the land. And so, Baal appealed to both the fertility of the crops but the pleasure of physical intimacy And the Lord is saying, my relationship between myself and my people will not be like that pagan god. I will be your husband, your protector, your keeper. And So this is Yahweh declaring the removal of those false gods from this relationship, because His love is more powerful than a spiritual adultery. He says, you are my beloved. I am yours and you are mine. This is the God that in Ezekiel 36 says, I'm going to take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to make you spiritually alive. Not out of an adulterous pleasure, but out of a covenant faithfulness. That the Lord is not your owner, But in this relationship, it is is the relationship between a husband and a wife. And as a a husband-type role, the Lord wants spiritual fidelity, faithfulness. And so He takes away the bales from your mouth, and He purifies you and calls you to walk in that purity And we even see this intensified in the coming of Christ, this purification and the call to walk in purity. In both John 5 and 8, in chapter 5 and chapter 8, Jesus specifically tells people that He restores to go and sin no more. Chapter 5 is a man who is healed on the Sabbath. And in His healing, Jesus says, Go, sin no more. And then the Pharisees comicize him for healing on the, the Sabbath day. But in chapter 8, is a woman caught literally in the act of adultery, and she's dragged before Jesus. And as Jesus sends away those who do not have authority to condemn her, and he's standing there in front of this woman, afraid and literally, completely vulnerable. He does not condemn her, but He says, go and sin no more. In the light of such mercy of restoration of physical ailment or literal adultery and fear of condemnation, the Lord in the flesh says, go and sin no more. Not that you have to be good enough to earn salvation, but because of this mercy that He has extended, walk in light of that mercy. The Christian faith is not a get-out-of-hell-free card that gives you the liberty to live however you want to live, but it's a love that purifies your very soul. And Jesus says, in light of that mercy and that grace and that love, go and sin no more. And so is your heart faithful to the One who has pursued you? Not just your literal spouse for those of you that are married. That's another conversation completely. But is your heart faithful to the God who has pursued and purified you? Because it's easy to talk the Christian talk, to put on the mask when you come on a Sunday morning. But it's difficult, in fact, impossible to hide an unfaithful heart and spiritual infidelity in the face of an all-knowing God. You cannot hide the things that you look at when no one is around. Do you have eyes and a heart of, of integrity? You cannot hide the way that you talk about people behind their back. Or sometimes even at church, we do it and we call it uh, a prayer request for other people as a, a spiritual form of gossip. But you cannot hide the way that you talk about people and the disrespect that you have in your heart toward them. It's one thing to live like a Christian on Sunday, but is your heart faithful to the Lord's work every other day of the week. Has your heart been faithful to the God who has called you His beloved? Perhaps you need to be reminded not only that you have been pursued, not only has God purified you, but that you are made precious. Look at verse 18. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. This covenant that he's referring to here uh, was actually first referenced in Hosea in chapter 1, in, in 110, Um and he says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. The covenant that he's referring to is a reminder of the covenant promise that was given to Abraham himself, that this broken relationship with God and an unfaithful people will make them the very children of a living God. And it even refers back further than that to the covenant with Abraham. Going back to Genesis 1 and 2, where man has been given domain over the earth and its creatures. This is a reminder that God has instituted a covenant not because of anything that His people have done, but because even in in spite of their unfaithfulness, God says, I will restore this broken relationship. This is a promise of a greater covenant to come bringing true peace, that the Lord will be the one to bring peace in the land. Continuing in verse 19, and I will betroth you to me forever, and I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know Yahweh. For those of you that were with us over the summer when we were going through the Psalms, this steadfast love right here is a, a reference back to that chesed love, that the word steadfast love actually refers to the covenant love itself, that the, the, this is a God who makes the covenant promise to restore His people, that this covenant is given, the Lord will make you His in righteousness, Justice, chesed covenant love and mercy and faithfulness and you shall know Yahweh this is a promise not a, 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 a dangling of a carrot that maybe you might get something out of this but that you will know the living God as your lover and redeemer Look at the work that Yahweh is doing. He's already said He's going to allure His people that that you have been pursued. He's, He's removed the bales from your mouth that you have been purified. And now He's saying that He will make this covenant. He will make peace. He will betroth you. And then He goes on. And in that day, I will answer, declares Yahweh, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. So the child who has been named no mercy, I will have mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. God will answer the heavens and He will have mercy and He says that you are My people. God's love is a restorative love that pursues and purifies and it makes you precious because it makes you like Him, righteous and just, full of mercy and faithfulness. This is the love that we celebrate at Advent that with the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ, God pursued a rebellious people. A rebellious people with the hearts of a spiritual prostitute. And the very Son of God Himself took that sin and that guilt and that shame upon Himself as He was literally born to die in your place. And He rose again giving you victory over sin and over death, to declare you as the righteous, holy child of God. Peter reminds his audience in 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. On the day that God declares you as His, you are His beloved you are betrothed to Him. That's a fancy, old-fashioned word that you are engaged and dedicated to the Lord, that that relationship will be fulfilled. That you are covenanted to Him now and the fact that you are declared righteous. You're still working on your sanctification. No, No one in this room is perfect at this moment, but you're hopefully better today than you were last year. You are declared righteousness, or you are declared righteousness, righteous and walking in righteousness. And there will come a day when Christ comes again. And that covenant promise is fulfilled in completion. The enemies of God will be vanquished, the broken will be set right, and the Lamb will take place on the throne for eternity. And in that time, you will know eternal shalom, peace. In the presence of God, you will know true rest for your very soul. In the presence of the King of all kings who has made you His own, His beloved. You are made precious by the blood of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this God says, you are my people and people of God. You can say, you are my God. And So today, I don't know where you stand in your faith. I don't know what kind of questions you are are wrestling with or struggling with. But I have to ask, do you struggle to believe that you are even worth pursuing? Are you living... With the heart of a spiritual prostitute unfaithful and following every whim and passion and desire that crosses your eye? Or do you know this God who passionately pursues his people? Have you turned from false gods to faithfully follow your Redeemer, this God who purifies you for himself? And do you rest in the knowledge that you are viewed as precious in His eyes because of the redemptive work of Christ done on your behalf? How then will you choose to live? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we confess that far too often We give our hearts away to everything that distracts us from You more often than we care to admit. And God, we confess that we do not want to live a life of spiritual infidelity. We do not want to live a life of unfaithfulness. But God, we pray that You... continue to be our strength as we walk in righteousness. Make us faithful. Remind us that You have pursued us as Your people. You have purified us and removed these false gods from our mouths. Remind us that You have made us precious, and that in that, that You have called us to go and sin no more not living in guilt, but walking in freedom, walking in the power and the majesty in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us rest in His name and His work alone, knowing that Your love restores a broken heart. And it's in the mighty and victorious and loving name of Jesus we pray. Amen.